707-227-2200. It's 7 o'clock. Thursday Night Talk starts right now. And welcome to Thursday Night Talk right here on KHSU tonight. Yana Balakovic is our host. We'd love to take your phone calls. Once Yana's ready, she'll open up the phone lines. And you can call 826-4805-1800-640-5911. Or you can text us at 492-KHSU. Good evening. Welcome to Thursday Night Talk. As Michael said, I'm Yana Valakovic. I'm your host for tonight's show. And for my day job, I work for the University of California in the Cooperative Extension Program in Eureka. So I'd like to talk about the McKay Community Forest. And to set the context, I thought I'd share that it really was a product of some bold leadership, persistence, and vision that the County of Humboldt in 2014 was fortunate to receive 1,000 acres of forest and wetlands adjacent to the city of Eureka along Ryan Ryan Creek. The intent of this effort was to create a new community forest, to bring the North Coast a new publicly accessible demonstration forest and maybe something similar to the city of Arcata model. For tonight, I've set up a conversation with two of the people responsible for this new community forest to help the community understand the history of the McKay track, the recent conservation activities, and what the public can expect in terms of near-term forest management and recreational access. Joining me in the studio is Hank Seaman, He's Deputy Director of Public Works in their Environmental Services Division. This means he oversees the county's parks as well as the county's management of a wide variety of natural resources challenges, including flooding and water management issues. He's one of our local talents who grew up in Eureka and received a fantastic education and came back to give to his community. Welcome, Hank. Good evening. And I also have Gary Rynearson. He's the Manager of Forest Policy and Communications for Green Diamond Resources Company. He happens to be a lecturer at Humboldt State University. He's a California registered professional forester who has years of local forest management experience, and he's also served several terms on the California Board of Forestry. Like Hank, he grew up in Humboldt County, so this is going to be a fun local conversation. And I just want to acknowledge that he actively supports and volunteers for many local organizations, including the Farm Bureau, the Buckeye, and he serves on the County Forest Review Committee. Has a big job. So welcome, Gary. Good evening. Thank you, Yana. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, you guys. I I appreciate you coming here to share your experiences and your perspectives on on this uh, sort of new new option, a new new piece for the county. So maybe we can start with um, where the McKay Community Forest is and maybe some of the uh, watershed's attributes that make it of interest. Sure. So the McKay Community Forest is southeast of Eureka, um, the mature forest around Redwood Acres, that includes the forest, and then it kind of sprawls southward past Redwood Fields and Cutton, past Winship School, and then along the urban interface all the way down to Ridgewood Heights. And it's basically situated um, to the west of Ryan Creek, a tributary to Humble Bay, and then the, east, the west side runs along the urban interface. Great. So... I'm curious about the process of establishing a community forest, and and I recognize that this wasn't anything that was in our day jobs or in your day jobs, and so I'm I'm curious about um, a bit about the conservation strategy and sort of what your personal vision and and view is for what what's trying to be created here. Well, I think we this we need to go way back and look at how all this started. Uh, 
You know, we, we Green Diamond, uh, acquired the McKay track as part of a, a larger purchase in 1998 when we purchased the Humboldt County lands uh, that were then owned by Louisiana Pacific. Uh, upon that purchase, the, the, uh, the previous owner, at, at the, actually at the request of the city of Eureka, had rolled out, meaning they've asked for a 10-year re, uh, rezone period for the t- t- uh, part of the TPZ that was, was on the west side of, of um, can, the tract. Can you explain what TPZ is? TPZ is Timber Production Zone, so it's land it's specifically zoned for, for the production and, and growing of, of, of timber, and uh, because of that, it gets a, it, it, it's locked into that zone for at least 10 years. So if you, mm-hmm. if you want to get out of TPZ, you have to request a, zone, a rezone to the Board of Supervisors. Uh, they have to then accept that. It takes 10 years to get out. It's then rezoned. Uh, there's back tax, pay, back, back tax payments, et cetera, that go along with that. The city of had actually approached Louisiana Pacific and asked them to, rezone, to, to do this rollout. Given the fact there was a substantial amount of reasonably flat land and land that could be developed that was in TPZ, that was to the to the west of Walnut and, and Ridgewood, um, given the fact there's very little land in the city of Eureka area left to develop that was a dev- could be developed that didn't go into the wetlands and didn't have other issues. Uh, so at that time, when we received the land through the purchase in 98, it was still in the process of being rolled out. And after that rollout occurred, then there was lots of discussion about uh, could or should the McKay track be developed. And one of the one of the potential urban limit lines that was placed on it, um, actually on slopes that probably weren't suitable for, for development. And the first real introduction that we had at Green Diamond was to potential development. It was sitting in a, a meeting that um, a county meeting where. There was development was shown on a on a on a PowerPoint slide that we'd never seen before, and uh, proposed a road through the western portion of the McKay, and where we knew that in development where we knew it wasn't suitable for development. Uh, there were streams; um, there it was too steep. The Ryan Creek is one of the most productive coho streams in in the area. Um, it's it's a tributary; it flows into the slough, and and it's it shares that slough with freshwater. Is they, they 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 then enter the bay and it's a substantial um, resource for for um, that anadromous fish species. So recognizing some some issues regarding the potential development, and not let alone resource impacts, but also um, traffic impacts in that area. We sat down and started talking to Jimmy Smith and uh, then Supervisor Smith, and and you know, to kind of look at what what some options were moving forward. Um, so that's really the kind of the genesis of how we started the discussion. Um, entered into talks with some conservation organizations, um, including the Trust for Public Lands, who had familiarity with these kinds of, of developments and and uh, projects. Who, if you read their website, that, that really fit them well because their goal was to is to get folks from ur- the urban community into the in, into the forests and into into you know, kind of a, more in the, into the uh, quasi-wilderness or certainly into the biolands. And this really uh, fit their project very well. So they were helpful in, in helping put this together. Great. <clears throat> How about you, Hank? How did you come into this this effort? And, you know, I guess what, what you know, motivated you on a personal level and, you know, and what is that vision that you're trying to achieve? You know, I'll go back to 2008, 2009, I was invited to join a grassroots group of people thinking about how to replicate the Arcata community forest model. And we started thinking about strategies and opportunities. And then within a year, we were approached by Green Diamond and the Trust for Public Land 
with this concept of developing a community forest as part of an overall strategy in the McKay Tract. And so, you know, really this was an opportunity of a lifetime. Um, it, community forests are really rare. Um, the community forest we received from McKay was really the first county-owned community forest in California. So in some ways, this is a big experiment to develop um, publicly owned property that is managed for multiple purposes, especially public access. It'll still be a working forest and the revenues will make it economically self-sustaining. So that model is easy to describe, but really hard to implement, I think. And so, um, you know, really this was a, just a tremendous opportunity. And, you know, previously this was an abrupt boundary at the urban interface and it was focused on being managed for commercial timber. In, in many ways, it was a well-known secret that I think people who lived along the neighborhoods there, you know, had their ways of getting into the forest and enjoying it. Um, you know, it's, it's just wonderful there in terms of in just a few minutes, you get away from the, the urban sounds and, you know, tremendous trees and big leaf maples. And um, it's just, a, it's an amazing place. So it must have struck a chord in your heart. I mean, this wasn't in your day job, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. I mean, you, you've had to put a lot of time and effort into making this happen. It's been a big personal priority for me. Um, you know, my wife was a runner. She ran in McKay. She ran a lot of places with her running friends. Um, as we were developing this opportunity uh, in 2012, she was struck and killed running on Myrtle Avenue with two of her close friends. And um, part of my personal recovery, it's part of my mission to deliver safe trails for the public. And so this is a good opportunity and I appreciate being involved. Wow, that's very meaningful. Hopefully we can dedicate something to Susie out of this. Thank you. So, you know, I, I, at some level, these forests um, seem different, but how would you, would, do you find them in some similarity to like what an open space district might provide or a, a water district might provide? I mean, that might be a model that some people can relate to in other parts of California where you have, you know, open space at some level that has some recreational value, but also has some working element and that it provides a service. I mean, that might be another way to think about the, the community element and what these public spaces create. I, I, in the case of the McKay, um, you know, it really isn't very visible to the public. Mm -hmm. you know, you, when you drive down, down Walnut or Ridgewood and you're looking at the trees um, to, to your east, um, there's a, basically a wall of trees and that's what you see. To, get, to see the McKay, you really got to be down in it. And because it, you know, it is a an incised drainage that um, that lies to the to the west to, to the east of the of the urban development area, it's you know to really really experience it as compared to looking at a hillside. It's a you know green belt, so to speak. Um, you know, this is a, a extremely productive functioning forest. This has some of the highest site redwood growing ground anywhere. I mean, it is you know the incredibly incredibly productive to to grow trees. So the ability to to grow big trees very in a very short period of time out there um, is is possible through thinnings um, 
We just conducted thinnings uh, adjacent to some of the urban areas on the um, immediately adjacent to, to Walnut, um, and the trees were 28 years old. And they were uh, 16, 18, 22, 24 inch diameter trees. And so a lot of what you've seen out there is third growth. There's third growth forest, there's second growth forest, there's, there's pockets of, of, of residual growth and, and residual trees that were left um, uh, during the original harvest that have now turned into large trees. There's pockets of them. Um, besides the, the coho that live in Ryan Creek, there are spotted owls. Uh, there are, uh, there are uh, osprey nests throughout the area. It's a, you know, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a functioning forest and, you know, with a mix of age classes and, and, you know, the county's got a great opportunity for the mixed recreation and mixed use um, and um, the ability to harvest and, and generate income to, to, you know, talking to Tom um, at the county works um, also, to, you know, there's other parks that need help being supported. And here you've got a park that isn't, you know, a, a, a county park that isn't just a maintenance cost. You've got a park that can actually generate income, you know, other than just day fees. So that's, you know, I think that's a, a, a real help and a model that you look forward into uh, to, that, you know, it shouldn't just be looked at as an income property, but by the same token, there is the opportunity for income to, you know, to set up the, the harvesting in a process that's consistent with the, with the plan and with, with the public's needs. And um, it's not commercial timberland anymore. It shouldn't be managed like commercial timberland, but it is a, it is a, a very productive a piece of timberland that, that uh, supports wildlife, supports fisheries, can support recreation, and some um, targeted um, harvesting. Well, that's an interesting point. I know in the city of Arcata there are <clears throat> elements that are considered park land. Redwood Park, for example, sits adjacent to the community forest, which is a distinct track. I mean, there are sort of different designations. Do you use that term park, Hank, when you when you think about this? I mean, it, maybe it's a way for the public to relate to it. I mean, how how do you think about those distinctions? I think of the McKay Community Forest as fundamentally different from a park, where we do have this multi-purpose management, and a key element is the working forest piece. And so, I think that you know the public will need to um, accept that there will be periodic disturbance with forest management activities. And that's really essential to, as, as Gary indicated, to, to, to generate the revenues to, to pay for the management and the investment in the, the, the trails and the access points. And you know, we wouldn't be able to accept this property without that revenue generating piece. And so when Green Diamond and the Trust for Public Land approached the county um, several years ago, you know, we spent a few years doing our due diligence. We developed, you know, looked at the, the timber stands and applied some growth and yield models and looked at, you know, what kind of financial enterprise this would be. And it, we, it took our time to um, come to the conclusion that, yes, this was a good investment. Um, you know, we, we envision probably at least 20 years of returning those harvest revenues on the ground for the trails and the amenities. But then the long-term vision is that it could generate revenue that can help supplement mm -hmm the management costs of our other county parks and trails. Right. So, different. Great. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Thursday Night Talk on KHSU. I'm Yana Valakovic. We're talking about the McKay Community Forest. My guests are Hank Seaman from the County of Humboldt and Gary Rainierson from Green Diamond Resources Company. What about the history of McKay? I mean, McKay 
has been a sort of central element of forest management in Humboldt County for a long time. How, how do you all think about that, that legacy and that history? Well, in part, the, um, you know, the history is built into the configuration of the mm -hmm. property where, um, you know, if you think about Redwood Acres and Myrtle Avenue, um, there's kind of a narrow width of property and then it, it widens out going south, but then there's actually a, a strip going north of Myrtle Avenue to Park Street uh, in Myrtle Town, right next to Uick Slough. And that's an old railroad grade that was used to bring logs to dump into Eureka Slough and raft them around to the Occidental Mill in downtown Eureka. So that was back in um, the late 19th century. Um, so there's even remnants of logging railroads on mm -hmm. the property. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like a lot of, of tracts of land around Humboldt Bay uh, the closer to Humboldt, the closer to the port of Humboldt Bay, the sooner they were they were harvested and be, and if, um, so that, that had some of the older harvesting of the, in the area because of its proximity to the bay, and then of course as you move away from the bay, the the the, the harvesting was delayed over the years and and it was more expensive, so that was obviously a piece that was very easy to to, to harvest from the old growth standpoint and pieces like the the McKay. Uh, um, originally was about 7,800 acres. And so when you look at the, uh, it, uh, there's a lot of pieces that, in, you know, in, in today's timber, your timber land ownerships, that's considered pretty small. And, but, you know, they were with the old growth on it and the, the amount of, it they harvested, the, the fact that you, uh, you know, the rate of harvest was slow because of the machinery used in those days, back in the turn of the century and in late 1800s, the, uh, it's there's a lot of tracks like that that later became just consolidated with other ownerships and you know that ownership actually stayed uh, separate for quite a while it was um you know after the old growth was harvested off and there was a period of time when in the in this um 60s when young growth redwood was was being considered and was being harvested and so it was being exported to japan at the time and was being used for dimensional lumber production which they found uh, wasn't really suitable so there was a, in the mid to late 1960s, there was a period where, where uh, the more mature young growth was being harvested, and then, then that harvesting stopped. And it wasn't really until the mid to later 1970s that that harvesting picked up again. And so pieces like that, as far as the, the valuation and the value of, of young growth versus old growth and the transition from the, the old growth economy to the young growth economy was probably around the mid-80s, you know, 1985, 86. And so McKay was one of those tracks that grew was, as it grew and had the, you know, a, lot of, a lot of young growth. And, and the mills shifted over from, from being old growth mills to young growth mills about that in that mid-80s era. Then, uh, you know, then there was a, kind of a new focus on those kinds of properties. So who was McKay? Where does the name come from? Well, the first owner in the 1850s mm -hmm. was James Ryan. And so his name was given to Ryan Creek and Ryan Slough. And then in the 1870s, um, the property was sold to a company owned by Alan McKay. And so he owned it, I think, for maybe 30 or 40 years. And then, and then it changed hands. So it, the names go back mm -hmm. to the early... Uh, kind of the European development of mm -hmm. that area. Do we know anything about Alan McKay? Very little. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got a legacy, I guess. <laughs> Neat. 
Well, um, so Gary, you talked a little bit about uh, meeting with Supervisor Jimmy Smith at the time and talking about development and the county and the city of Eureka's interest in expansion of development potential, given that there's not that much flat land and there are some flat parcels. So how do we get to where we are to now? You know, who approached who sort of, who are those key players and, you know, kind of what was necessary to bring us to this stage? Well, you early, earlier you, you caused me, you called me one of the people responsible for this. And, and I think that's, that's an overstatement. I, I'm one of the people that kind of helped helped with, with the process. Um, there's a lot of people responsible. Uh, Neil Ewalder, then vice president, um, general manager here, um, you know, reached out to Jimmy and, and, and reached out to, to the Trust for Public Land to, to discuss the opportunity. We saw, we saw the opportunity for the committee force as a, as a balance, a balance between Ryan Creek and, and the area between Ryan Creek and to the west to, to the um, urban development and recognize that, um, you know, from the, that, that, that probably fit well as a community forest. And the rest of the tract, which is, is more remote and has a separate road access to it and doesn't have, um, you know, a, a high-density urban development um, line immediately adjacent to it, is a much more manageable piece over, over time. And, and given the productivity of it, it was certainly a difficult discussion as to do we really want to sell a thousand, uh, a thousand acres of, of timberland that can generate between a thousand to fifteen hundred board feet per acre per year in perpetuity? I mean that's a that, that's incredibly you know productive land. So it was you know there was certainly internal discussions, but we also recognized the value of of that balance for for this for this piece of land that fit well between. The you know the, the area that you want to protect it the most, which is the creek and the riparian zones, versus the urban d- development uh, uh, to the west. And and and, and you know and, and re- uh, may rest in peace. You know, and Jimmy was very active at the front end of this, and and then um, when when Rex became supervisor, he certainly stepped into that role and and was very active also in promoting it and, and working with us and working with the county staff and, and certainly it was he was very rigorous in making sure that 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 this would pay for itself over time and that it was it was a piece that was of value to the county and wasn't going to be just a, a cost item to the county and um, was something that uh, the folks wanted and and uh, you know several there's a lot of public meetings a lot of discussions um, a lot of discussions with the neighbors about what does this mean, and and so I think it was a, a well thought out, well developed uh, program to put this in place. Uh, a lot of a lot of folks at the federal and the state level with funding and uh, and other uh, you know nonprofit organizations that help support that, and so there there's a lot of folks that help help bring this together and make it happen. Anything you want to add, Hank? Yeah, I'd like to call out Gary's colleague, Craig Compton with Green Diamond, who um, really worked incredibly hard you know, to put this together. And he really, he saw the need to um, ensure that it could be operated and managed semi-independently. Mm-hmm. And so he really helped with um, kind of the configuration of the parcels and developing reciprocal access agreements and you know, managing forests is new for, for county staff, and we're in a, a big growth curve right now. Um, so I think Craig helped us, you know, kind of could foresee some of the issues that we were, management issues that we would be facing and really put some good thought into, you know, how the, the transaction and the property configuration came together. 
I mean, it seems like it almost has a logical order and an easy, smooth story. So <laughs> I don't know if others can learn from these. Um, I mean, I think I would imagine that every conservation deal has interesting twists and turns along the way, but I don't know if this is one that should be re replicated or learned from or any thoughts about how we got to where we are now? Yeah, I think they're very, it's a very complicated set of circumstances. I think once you see one community forest, you've only seen one because everyone's different. Um, you know, one thing Cutton has is, you know, has some circulation challenges. And so it's kind of a question whether the existing road network could sustain additional development. Um, I think that was one of Jimmy Smith's concerns. And so, you know, Gary also mentioned that some of the rezoning that happened in the 90s. So for the 1,000 acres that the county acquired, 120 of those acres were zoned for residential. And so that also helped with the, that elevated the appraised value of those parcels. And it also elevated the, the conservation value of invest, you know, that, and that brought in the state and federal funds to, you know, conserve that forest land in perpetuity and avoid the conversion to non-forest use. So there were some unique factors along the urban interface with the historical rezoning that, um, you know, added value to the property. I think that helped to pencil out for Green Diamond. Um, but then there's also these infrastructure challenges that kind of raise questions whether it actually could have been developed. And it, so I think the, and also with the trust for public land being willing to invest money and technical studies and appraisals in the beginning, you know, they're kind of a key third partner um, that was at their own risk. And, you know, so they helped bring in the state and federal funds to, to see what an opportunity this was. Yeah. And I imagine some of the environmental communities also lended their support or, you know, their comment about this being a good outcome. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, Ryan Creek Watershed basically has a conservation plan now and a kind of a conservation vision of which this thousand acres is one part of it. So what are kind of the other elements? I think we talked about it being, what, 7,500 acres? It's about 7,800 to start. Okay. So what are the other elements? So the bulk of it is in Green Diamond ownership still. So the, the county has a, a, comp a component of that. So what, what else goes into that conservation strategy for, for Ryan Creek? Marshall. Well, from Green Diamond standpoint, we're still in the pr process. This, this is a, a three-phase uh, conservation consideration. So phase one was the, the, the sale of 1,001 acres to, to the county, um, you know, which uh, was finalized in 2014, correct? Uh, the other two phases are pending. Uh, okay. their phase two is actually the, the sale of 197 Acre tract, which lies to the south and to the west of the of the current county county ownership, um, and that's a piece we've been talking about for a while with the county, and was always it was always going to be part of that phased in conservation strategy. Phase three is the balance of the property, which represents around um, just under six thousand acres, and it is um, it will be a conservation easement that precludes any future subdivision and development on the tract. So with the, with that overlay of that of the conservation easement on the balance of the of the retained green diamond ownership, it um, it's a permanent uh, color on the title 
which means it can never be developed, never be subdivided, whether Green Diamond owns it or somebody else owns it. So that's a you know that's a, a, a big part of this is to say, you know we we agree that um, that this area shouldn't this is a unique piece of forest it shouldn't be developed, it should be it should continue in productive timberland, and that's the that's the last piece of, of the phase three of this. And so we're waiting on funding, I would imagine, or. So funding has been committed, a certain amount of funding, and what we're waiting for is appraisals, updated appraisals. Mm. And so those appraisals should start actually within a few weeks okay. and then take two to three months. And then if the appraised value meets Green Diamond's you know, minimum expectations, then we could close escrow you know, in the second half of the year. On that additional? On both the acquisition the, and the easement. Are those sequenced? together we're expecting okay. that they would close concurrently okay great so that's i guess 10 years in the making but <laughs> quite close that's great excellent well if you're just joining us you're listening to khsu's thursday night talk i'm yana valakovic your host we're talking about the mckay community forest uh, my guests are hank seaman from the county of humboldt and gary rainierson from green diamond resources company we welcome your calls at 826-4805 or 1-800-640-5911 or give us a text at 707-492-khsu thanks so Bringing it back to the community side, I guess that's where I'd like to move our conversation. Um, what do you see for recreational usage? And, you know, what's near term, what's down the line? And where do we start on that on that conversation? Sure. Yeah, I'd actually like to start just by expressing what I think is part of the essence of community forestry. Mm-hmm. We talked a bit about the element of managing for multiple purposes so that will be, um, you know, a big part of that will be keeping it as a working forest with sustainable harvest for revenues. But then another big aspect is the public access and recreation. And then, um, you know, I think the essence of community forestry is the central role of the public in being involved with decision making about how the land is used and managed. And, um, not just in decision making, but also in assistance with um, developing the trails and the, the recreational facilities. And we've got a great model with um, Cedar of Arcata and other um, land managers have used the volunteer trail stewards. So there's this organizational structure in place to um, take advantage of community members' interest in helping with building trails. And that really helps bind the connection between the community and the trail and the forest. And so um, that's going to be a central part of our rollout of our um, our vision for the recreational use. And it's really timely because yesterday, <laughs> um, after four years of development, we released the draft trail plan for the community forest. And it's a big document. There's a big set of maps. It presents you know, a blueprint and a direction for where we want to go in terms of network of trails on the forest, um, you know, what our vision is for how the, the community forest benefits the community. You know, we really have this vision of um, enhancing quality of life for the greater Eureka area by enabling outstanding recreation opportunities. And we also envision the community being actively involved in, in building the trails. And, um, you know, I think community forest 
Creek gives the opportunity for the public to really assist with the stewardship of the forest based on a deep connection to the land and a sense of place. And so we really want people in the greater Eureka area to really be proud of this land and to invest in it and to want to protect it and, um, you know, just feel a close connection to it. Excellent. I will admit I went to your website and I downloaded the 142-page document and it is an impressive volume and gives, I think, a lot of excellent detail about access points and potential for recreation, the types of recreation, and so hopefully tonight we can we can talk through some of that uh, for those that don't want to, to get into it in the nitty-gritty. But So what do, you, what do you see as possible in the near term? I mean, what, what is that next first step? So we released the trail plan for a 30-day public review. Okay. So we welcome comments through March 1st. Um, and then, you know, we have some, um, we need to, you know, evaluate the, the trail network for potential environmental impacts and develop, a, you know, environmental review document. And then there'll be certain areas and certain types of work that require, you know, some permits and approvals. Um, but we're really gearing up to um, start with trail building in the near future. And in fact, we have some grant funding for the California Conservation Corps, and they've already started with some of the removal of invasive species and some of the, the preparation work. Um, we've also, you know, there's really an art and a science to trail building. And we're fortunate that our community has a lot of expertise in trail building and in fact, just this week, we've picked up um, Dennis Houghton, who formerly worked with City of Arcata and then retired, who's an expert trail builder. And he's going to be on our team to help with um, trail design, um, looking at challenging spots, and also helping coordinate the volunteers in the trail building. Great. Excellent. So what type of recreation will be allowed? Non-motorized recreation. So a big emphasis on hiking and walking, on mountain bike riding, on equestrian use. And also one of our big priorities in this plan was to really try to maximize the opportunities for people with physical disabilities. Mm, great. And so there's a really heightened expectation to serve <clears throat> users of all ages and abilities. And it's challenging in a forest environment, especially with a lot of hill slopes, but we've looked closely and you know we've found two spots where we have some relatively flat terrain. And so we're envisioning, um, you know, the, the whole proposed trail network is a total of 27 miles. Mm -hmm. And one and a half miles of that can be on flat ground that can meet the design standards for an accessible trail. And then we can do some additional trails that um, have improved access, but not quite meeting all the accessibility standards. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about the new interest in electric bikes? There's, is that is that part of motorized or non-motorized? So <laughs> electric assist bikes are considered consumer products and not vehicles. <clears throat> okay. There's the class one e-bikes that have that kind of low power motor assist um, up to 20 miles an hour and the motor only kicks in while you're pedaling. Mm -hmm. So that's there's a certain class of e-bikes. Um, our trail plan says we need to further evaluate whether that's compatible with you know, the multiple use, um, diverse use that we want to invite in the community forest. 
Um, on the one hand, it creates opportunities for you know helping people with um, you know mobility challenges, get more access. Um, on the other hand, it raises concerns about uh, you know speeds and safety and noise and um, so we really need to do more outreach and hear from the community and and, and users. Um, you know, I, I really haven't seen the e-bikes in a forested terrain, so I don't know, haven't observed firsthand what the issues are. So I'm kind of looking forward to that debate and hearing different voices. Yeah, yeah, it's a good debate. I'm seeing signs in other communities where there's yes and there's no, and now there's a new class of trails that are specific to those. So it's it's a new new frontier, I think, in, in many respects. So, and what about access? How do how do you anticipate access coming about? You know, part of the challenge of this trail plan was identifying appropriate access points. And in some ways, this tract of land, which is kind of sprawling, um, it's largely landlocked. And so there's really only two areas where we have immediate frontage to a public road. And so that's along Harris Street near Redwood Acres and then also south of Cotton on Northridge Road. And... So those are our two immediate access points. And in fact, last year we had some grant funding and we were able to build a, a new dedicated parking area down on Northridge Road um, to be one of our central access points to the community forest. And then we've identified some additional spots where, um, you know, probably in the next two to five years, there's some large parcels that will be subdivided for development and there'll be opportunities to try to integrate access points on those properties. But those are, you know, more uncertain. Um, that's going to be one of the challenges is, is connecting the northern and the southern areas mm -hmm. of the community forest. So that'll be, you know, a long-term goal is to have that full connectivity. Right. So, Gary, how does Green Diamond think about this recreational use question and you know, there's a lot of trespass activity on on Green Diamond, especially on the R Line Road. How, how do you how are you managing that issue, and and what are the the risks and concerns you're working through? Well, there, there's a couple of concerns. Uh, one is, and we recognize that folks, um, you know, the the R Line that comes off Harris, that a lot of folks, um, you know, enter the property via via the the R Line and. There's two issues. One is that um, when we're operating in there, uh, interfacing with the public in an active timber harvesting areas is um, it's just not safe. And we just encourage people to, to not do that. Um, um, access on, on our property is by, by permission only. And, and um, it's, it's just not, it's not compatible to have the general public visiting an area if, if, during if, uh, when there's active log hauling and active timber falling and and just active timber operations so that's that's a that's a problem and um i've been in there and asked people to leave more than once with um you know who are enjoying the walking down the road with their dog and a log truck coming behind me and and um asking and suggesting strongly that they they probably should leave and so that that's you know that that's one of the issues the other issue is that <clears throat> most of the roads on green diamond lands are are seasonal roads they're roads that are not designed for winter use um, this area has some very unique geology it's got you know what our geologists call soft geology um and uh, it um, mean that things are soft 
things get very soft very quickly. It's, um, you know, the parent materials was very poorly consolidated. And it, um, you know, can even a bicycle uh, up, you know, on the uh, unrocked portions of the road can cause a rut and cause erosion and cause material to be transported from from the roadway down into the creeks. And, you know, that's, um, you know, that's not something we want to happen. So those are really the two issues. You know, unauthorized winter use to, can 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 lead to erosion, can lead to sedimentation issues, as well as the, you know, the safety around that. So we we look forward to the the can, to the the build out of the trail system and the access points and getting the public to recognize that the 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 threat of Ryan Creek is the property boundary, and that west of that is the public access, and that that east of that is um you know Great Diamond Land and and you know that's um. Yeah, I think that'll be that'll be clear as this goes forward. I've had the opportunity to look through the trail plan, and, and I I know I know that, um, that Hank and the county didn't do it in a vacuum. I know they talked to lots of folks and got input from folks, and and um, so I you know I look look forward to them you know, finalizing the plan and moving forward with them. Great. So if you're just joining us, this is Thursday Night Talk. We're talking about the McKay Community Forests. Uh, we welcome your calls at 826-4805, 1-800-640-5911, or give us a text at 707-492-KHSU. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm also pondering, I know there's an in-holding in, in the in the parcel like how are we you know trying to manage that piece too because there's people enter on that road line and any any thoughts about what what can be done to try and help people understand that there are more than just the critters that are living out there no it's true and um it's a unique aspect of this forest land that there is a single family residence um just down the road from Harris Street. And that's also where the boundaries of the community forest narrow and it kind of necks down and then there's hilly terrain just to the left. And that's one of our real challenge points of connecting the northern and the southern segments. And that's where actually, a spot where we're actually proposing to um, go up the hill and go along the, 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 um, the terrace that's around Redwood Fields and Cutton and then come back down onto the, the county-owned property. That's one of our challenge points is to um, kind of navigate that constriction. You know, and Gary spoke to just the um, the challenging geology and weather conditions and the watershed, and we need to take that to heart when we build trails. And, you know, that's we, we spent a lot of time trying to really read the landscape and understand drainage and um, develop a, a game plan to develop sustainable trails that can be resilient to you know, the impact of people and can, you know, fit in the, the natural drainage of the landscape with and hold their form. So there's really a, you know, a growing understanding of the elements of, you know, sustainable, resilient trails. And so we want to, you know, that's part of the reason that it took time to develop this plan so we can, you know, um, you know, there's, there's a mantra about build it right, build it once for mountain biking trails and we want to take that to heart mm-hmm. yeah so what i don't i'm also curious gary what else is going on with management in in mckay on your side on green diamond side well, the green diamond tract um, <clears throat> excuse me, of course it's um 
falls. Anything we do out there as far as, uh, as harvesting activities is, of course, regulated by the California Forest Practices Act and as administered by, by CAL FIRE and all the other participating agencies that review those documents. But that tract is, um, is also covered by our Habitat Conservation Plan. So it's got a, actually two Habitat Conservation Plans on it. One for the Northern Spotted Owl, it's from 1993, and uh, one for the, the um, aquatic species that was approved in 2007. So those are federal permits. We also have, have state permits that follow those um, for what's called a consistency determination for the species that are duly listed between the federal and the state agencies. Um, the, it's also uh, falls under Forest Stewardship Council um, certification. So, okay. so also all the standards that come to bear under that and requirements under that are also applied here. So, but are, is, is most of your work kind of done in there? Are you going to be back in, in the, in the near, in the near, in, sorry, in the near future? Do you, are you doing active projects? I, I know you've got a bunch of research going on on Ryan sure. Creek. I mean, where? Well, we continue to, to monitor the, the, the fisheries in, in Ryan Creek. It's one of the areas that we actively um, monitor the out, uh, yeah, outgrowing uh, migrants, uh, the anatomous the, species, and primarily the, the coho in Ryan Creek. Um, and, I, and I know part of the, the area that was acquired by the county, um, while certainly there's a lot of trail systems and roads that will be retained and other roads that will be decommissioned or put to bed, uh, there's also areas that are just pure resource areas. Especially that neck to the north, as you as you look out the very the north end that follows the old railroad grade out to out to the slough, um, that's a marshy wetland that's got high extremely high wildlife um, value, and if, you know I know that's just part of the area that will be under uh, you know under preservation, under just protect and, and maintain uh, preservation. But as far as the you know we as you know we monitor all of our owls. We that's one of the things that's um, unique about our. Our habitat conservation plan is every year we go out and monitor the active nesting owls, uh, determine whether they're they're new owls that have uh, that have moved out of the property, uh, owls that have um, you know had had young that have fledged, and we ban those, we track them, so we we, we keep really close tabs on where the owls are and and uh, how they're doing over time, and and so that's in them a case part of that part of that process. Okay, so Hank, where do you see management starting? On the community forest side, I know you talked about some about integrating the community into that planning process and making sure that everyone's sort of invested in the stewardship of that. But you know, kind of what are what are the nearer term activities you think are you know needed? After the county acquired the property in 2014, um, we did convene a citizen advisory group, and we had a series of meetings um, through 2017, and. You know, really our first priority was developing the public access and recreation plan because this is publicly owned property and we wanted to, you know, as soon as possible, find appropriate ways for people to come and enjoy the property. And so, you know, this is a, a huge milestone to release that trail plan yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so now um, we're gearing up to retain a professional forester to assist us in developing a timber management plan. And so we'll be initiating that in the next few weeks. And then we'll be you know, thinking about what makes sense in terms of silviculture and roads and go through the permitting process and then be ready to start um, implementing, you know, timber management. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, best case is 
perhaps we could do our first harvest in 2020. And what kind of harvest do you anticipate? I mean, do you have certain thoughts about what's all, you know in your toolbox for management? And we'll we'll certainly be practicing um, uneven age management, okay. primarily selection with thinning. Um, the stands today, you know, have been managed um, uneven age management, and so there's common age stands. There's a lot of, you know, there's some mature stands that are. 120, 130 years old. There's also, you know, the majority is probably 40 to 60 years old. Some of it's overstocked. It really needs to be thinned to release, you know, the growth and uh, to grow, you know, bigger trees faster. Um, so it's going to be this gradual transition. And that's also where we want, you know, the citizen advisory group to help advise us on, you know, not just the, the big picture vision, but also, you know, developing metrics that we can, um, you know, monitor our progress and developing ecological objectives for the forest management. Great. Michael, did we get a question? Yes, we did. And it's um, from our own Mike Drockers. So <laughs> thanks for calling in, Mike. And he thanks you for uh, having a really great show tonight, too. And he says that on our side uh, right now of the of the McKay, there's a really nice graded road called the R-Line. And he wanted to know if there's going to be something similar on the new property because it's popular among runners, apparently. Thanks, Mike, for your question. <laughs> so, you know, unfortunately, the geography of the McKay Tract and what's community forest and what's Green Diamond private property is really almost inscrutable. And now that we've got the trail plan and we can start developing our access point and trails, it'll give us the opportunity to clearly identify where, you know, the public is welcome to recreate. We won't have, you know, the R-Line is um, unique as being the main haul road um, into the tract. And, you know, we'll have a network of... But that's on Green Diamond side, right? That's on Green Diamond side. And so that won't be part of our, our trail network. But we'll have 27 miles all at full build-out of roads and multi-use trails and mountain biking trails and hiking trails that, you know, are intended to provide an equivalent experience. Right. I know that some um, have also expressed an interest for something with a less steep grade than the city of Arcata. So great place for young kids to learn how to ride bikes. And I think the R-Line probably facilitates that in some ways now. But um, I don't know if you thought some about steepness of the of, and the approachability of the trails that are being developed for McKay. Yeah, and the good news is down in Northridge, down in South Cutton, where we have the new parking area, there's a good flat terrace there that gives us the opportunity for accessible trails mm -hmm. for people with disabilities and then that's also going to be just a great place for you know young young and old visitors to you know to go for short excursions into the forest on flat ground okay great so you mentioned this advisory committee how how do people get involved well first of all you know the trail plan is on our website we welcome comments for the next 30 days um you know, we, the, the advisory group, we met for a few years and then we really had to kind of go, you know, kind of deep underground for a while and develop this plan and really think about something that was integrated and unified and 
So it's a big milestone to have this out. And so our intent now is to reconvene the advisory group. Uh, we're going to commit to you know meetings at least twice a year. Um, we really haven't thought through exactly the format and the organizational structure for the advisory group. Um, you know, I would say in terms of people interested with helping with the trail building, you know, probably this summer is our target for initiating, um, you know, at least monthly volunteer events. And so there'll be public notice for that. Uh, you know, we need to figure out the coordination and um, the implementation plan for those efforts. So we'll probably need another four or five months to, to be ready for the volunteer interest. Okay. Great. And your um, your plan is on the county website. Just what do you say? Google Humboldt County McKay Community Forest. That should take you right to it. Okay. Excellent. Um, you know, I was I was struck by something in the in the community forest plan, and I thought I'd just share this, which was that it was a quote from 2006 2016. Certain trails are so elegant that they seem to lie slipping just beneath the surface of the earth. Rather than being created by us, it is as if these trails unveil themselves through us. And the quote goes on, and I, I was thinking about, you know, when you get it right, you really do. And <laughs> so it's really neat to see this level of planning and attention and detail to, to, to help, you know, provide that accessible opportunity and, you know, make sure that we have a chance to get out every day and enjoy the, the beauty and the bounty of nature and have that place of solace and place to recharge from the, the craziness of life. So that that's excellent that, that you're working through some of these things. So, you know, I guess just as we as we finish up today on this on this show, you know, Gary, are is there anything you'd like the listeners to know about this community forest or the Green Diamond in general? Well I think it's a great it's a great example when you know when you look at when when things oftentimes start a, start as a problem or an issue and then turn into an opportunity. So here's an opportunity that, that you know that kind of um, you know presented itself to to a to a good compromise and to to what we believe is a good balance to 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 create an asset for the county, a unique opportunity for a um, you know for folks. Uh, when you look at when you go to the website and take a look at this this the plan there's a lot of interior forestry it's a long skinny thousand acres but they're in about the, the middle of it there's a great deal of interior great deal of opportunities for the trails for loops um you know i think uh, th- think the county's done a great job uh you know the folks that, that started this neil and craig that all the work he put into it and the folks at uh, trust for public land and of course the the vision that jimmy had and then rex and and you know and hank hank did a lot of work on this you know, and, and so, so thank you for helping, you know, keep the momentum up at the county level, and uh, we think it's a good outcome. How about you, Hank? I mean, we've got a few more minutes left, so if there's a, a final caller, there's there's enough time to sneak one in. But, um, you know, wh- what do you think the important salient points are for the community to understand about kind of the next, the next phase and what you hope to accomplish? You know, some amazing things can happen in the forest. I mean hear a lot of testimonials of people who appreciate the Arcadia Community Forest and it's a place for recreation, for learning. I mean, it's really an outdoor classroom. Um, you know, friendships are nurtured. Um, you know, interactions with the natural world, just a way to connect. Um, so, it's, you know, these are really remarkable experiences that the Community Forest can provide. And so, 
you know, it's really exciting to be on the cusp of starting to create public access and trails for the McKay CUNY Forest and offer those opportunities for Eureka. And, you know, I think for a lot of people in Eureka, you had to leave to experience the Redwoods. And so, you know, get in your car and drive down to Avenue of the Giants or um, Road National Park or go to Arcata. And so now, you know, very shortly we'll have these outstanding opportunities just in Eureka's back door. Well, that, that does raise a question. We haven't talked much about the city of Eureka. Is there, do they have a role in, in helping you all in this, in this effort? They've been a partner. Um, you know, they're, they're actively involved with planning and management in their sphere of influence. And, you know, their primary interest, I think, is linkages with the neighborhoods on the outskirts of Eureka. And uh, there's also, you know, incredible opportunities to partner with uh, the zoo, Sequoia mm-hmm. Zoo, and you know the the learning opportunities about wildlife and watershed management that you can have kind of the indoor classroom at Sequoia Zoo and then the outdoor classroom in McKay just creates incredible opportunities. Not to mention with Winship School and Eureka High, you know, just very close. So you know, just tremendous educational opportunities. You know, to think about. Watershed management, you know, modern silviculture, um, you know, modern forest management practices, and then, you know, just these balances that we have between public use and conservation and working landscapes. It's going to be, you know, just a tremendous opportunity to to have those public discussions. That's great. Gary? And I think that's one of the, the real opportunities here is moving forward is, is the educational opportunity. You know, we look at programs that uh, in the schools and you know, we've kind of gotten away from doing forestry and natural resource, resource programs in the schools. And, and if, you know, I think here's the opportunity to really to have a working, you know, working forest, uh, a working educational opportunity. College of the Redwoods is 15 minutes away. There's an elementary school three minutes away. There's a junior junior high school that literally abuts this this forest, and to be able to to incorporate the, the forestry and the natural resources and wildlife and fisheries and all of the other pieces that that are the part of the forest resources into into their the studies at at those multiple levels, I think is a huge opportunity. Yeah, I know that when. I walk out in the Arcata Community Forest. I'm struck how many times I run into a Humboldt State University classroom, you know, out doing what they do, using using the city forest as as their laboratory. So that's great to think about all those levels of schools at different different stages of educational development that can benefit from from this forest. It seems like the uh, opportunities are sort of boundless in many ways. Yeah, I think in closing, I could just say that. Some really beautiful land has been preserved with mm-hmm. the formation of the community forest. And it's really uh, remarkable that it happened. And it, I think there's just a great creation story about the individuals and the circumstances that led to its formation. Um, a lot of people worked hard to make it happen. And now with this trail plan being rolled out, we really invite the public to take a look. And we're going to need a lot of help in terms of um, building the trails, managing it based on you know, community priorities, and then partnering with schools and organizations and individuals to really make it a community resource. Yeah, excellent. 
Well, I want to thank you both for all your hard work and really for giving the North Coast a tremendous legacy. I mean, it's it's going to be really fun to think about how this community develops and evolves having this kind of asset as, as part of the portfolio of resources and really gives a strong, you know, anchoring point for a very large community around Eureka uh, and the greater county area. 